So are you afraid of the dark? Some people are, some people aren't. Statistics show that the dark is actually afraid of Chuck Norris. It's true, it's real, science backs it up, it's there. Some researchers from Australia released a report uh, just recently, a few months ago, and they were studying the brain. And as they studied the brain, they discovered that when it came to this issue of being afraid of the dark, it was actually the absence of light that possibly is increasing that fear of the dark. Their research showed that, that light and the presence of light actually helps us feel more calm, more relaxed. It actually gives us some sense of control over our emotions. It went on to say that being in the light helps us feel better, helps us feel more alert, helps us feel more stable, and helps us feel less fearful. On the flip side, the report also said that, that nocturnal animals like raccoons that they actually feel safer in the dark, that they can dig through trash cans and find leftover lobster tails better in the dark than they can in the daylight. So, but we're not raccoons, are we? And the reality is sometimes us being afraid of the dark has absolutely nothing to do with whether the light is on or whether the moon is in the sky. No, being afraid of the dark is more because everything's kind of falling apart in life. There's stress, there's anxiety, there's, there's fear. It's, it's this sense that when we look at life, all of our life feels like it's in the dark. So what do we do then? What do we do when it, when it feels like everything in our life seems to be in the dark? Well, we're going to ask Simon Peter to help us find an answer to that question. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, listen as we begin. Peter writes... And we have something more sure, the prophetic word. Simon Peter was one of the closest friends of Jesus. Here in this letter, he is writing to Christians who are suffering. They've been experiencing a great deal of persecution. And what he's wanting to do, he's wanting to help them to see and know that there is something there for them, to encourage them in the dark times in which they were living, that there was hope for them to be found and he begins by saying this we have something more sure you can be more sure you can have confidence that is more sure well more sure than what well more sure than what he had just got through talking about a few sentences right before this Peter had written about the most amazing moment in his life what's the most amazing moment in your life can you can you remember can you think about it Mine was in Birmingham, Alabama on Tuesday. Uh, maybe the best hamburger I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And then a few days before that, the greatest moment of my life was, was eating at Rudy's Barbecue in San Antonio, the best brisket I had in my life. In fact, on the menu it says, do you want regular brisket or fatty brisket? Why would you not choose fatty brisket? You know it's going to be amazing. So I've had some of the best moments in my life just recently. But Peter had the most amazing moment of his life. He was up on a mountain, and he saw the transfiguration of Jesus. In other words, he saw Jesus in this glory, in this radiance, and this majesty that he could not explain. He heard the voice of God from heaven say, This is my Son. Peter had an experience that is beyond any of our imaginations. 
And he's writing about that experience. And he said, this experience was incredible. It was amazing, but Christianity is not all about experience. And so he swoops in and he says, I have something more sure than my experience. More sure than my experience. I think sometimes we forget that it doesn't mean that the experience doesn't matter. It does, right? I mean, Peter's up on a mountain and he sees Jesus in all of his glory. I mean, that had to be a terrifying and exciting moment all at the same time. He saw Jesus as the Son of God. He saw Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. The experience was amazing. But then he stops and he says, you know, experience is not all that Christianity is about. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. He says this, he said, when you're looking for what to build your faith on, it's not the experience, it's the truth of God. And God's choice, his desire, his design is that his truth is found in the Bible. Political leader Robert Ingersoll once said this, in 25 years, the Bible will be a forgotten book. He said that in 1899. Bless his heart, I think he, I think he missed it just a little bit. But, but there's this sense that even in the church, the greatest danger we face, the greatest danger that any church faces is this casual wandering away from God's truth. It's this thing where we get so experience-oriented or so event-oriented or so program-oriented or so tradition-oriented or so contemporary-oriented that we forget to be truth-oriented. We forgot and forget to be driven by the truth of God's word. We forget to let God's truth be everything that we have. And usually the way it happens is we'll find our hearts being more excited about a special speaker or, or someone giving an amazing testimony, more excited about those things than we're excited about our Sunday school teacher or the preacher or, or the youth pastor, whoever it is, just teaching us God's word, faithfully teaching us God's word. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with special speakers or amazing testimonies. They're fantastic. God uses them. But where is that white, hot love and passion for God's truth that the early church had? That they, they didn't need anything. They just needed to meet together and hear the teaching of God's truth. That was it. That was what excited them. That's what got them jacked up, that they could join together and hear the truth of God. It was God's truth that fed their soul. It was, it was Red Bull for, for their life and their heart. They were so excited about God's truth. And somewhere, somewhere that's moved down the list of our daily life. We're, we're looking for the experience. We're looking for the event. We're looking for the something special. And Peter says, if you're looking for the something special, then look to the truth of God's word. June 27, 1819, Adoniram Judson was a missionary from Massachusetts. He was in Burma. Burma is, is modern-day uh, Myanmar. It is south of China, east, whichever direction that is, east of India. And, and it was his first convert. And he was baptizing his first convert and his wife, Anne, was, was writing about this convert. His name was Moon. And this is what she said. She said, I was reading to him from Matthew about the Sermon on the Mount. 
And this is how she described his response of hearing the Sermon on the Mount. He said, these words take hold on my liver. They make me tremble. So in terms of the Bible, how's your liver? Does your liver tremble? Is there this, this sense that when you hear the word of God, it, it shakes you up in all the good ways? It, it brings you low in all the good ways? It brings you high in all the good ways? That, that something about the truth of God, it, it transforms how you're thinking or how you're feeling? Or are you just waiting for the next service or the next experience or the next event or the next program? And it's not that any of those things are evil, they're not. But there has to be something inside of us that we see that the reason the church grew to begin with is they were excited about God's truth. Yes, they were excited about things that were happening, but they were first and most, they were excited about God's truth. Generally speaking, if your experience contradicts Scripture, then you should not trust your experience. Peter, he trusted his experience up on the mountain because it was this amazing thing that made a really big deal out of Jesus, out of Jesus. If you have an experience that doesn't make a big deal out of Jesus, doesn't stir your heart to follow after Jesus, then don't put a lot of trust in that experience. Your trust, your confidence needs to be in the truth of who Jesus is. Peter spoke about his mountaintop experience because he wanted us to see these experiences happen. They are awesome. But then he immediately draws our attention back to the prophetic word. Now, what is the prophetic word? Well, when we say prophetic word, I'm not talking about me, you know, prophesying that you're going to inherit, you know, some shares in a donut empire. You know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. Incidentally, if you do inherit shares in a donut empire, remember me, all right, okay? I mean, I don't, need, I don't need the shares. I just want the donuts, all right? So the prophecy is not some random thing about something that may happen in your life. He's pointing us back to the prophecies about Jesus, the written-down truth about Jesus. The Old Testament provides more than 300 very specific prophecies about Jesus, and every single one of them came true. All of them. I often share the insights of college math professor Peter Stoner. About 50 years ago, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in that book, he said, forget the 300 plus prophecies. Let's just take eight of the 300. Let's just take eight of them. He said the likelihood mathematically that eight of those prophecies would come true about Jesus. He put it this, one in tenth to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros, the, the likelihood of it happening. Just crazy. Now, you may be thinking, it's my understanding there would be no math in this sermon, and you're, and you're a little lost, but don't worry, don't worry. I mean, the longest I ever got in math was long division. I didn't get past that, so it's okay. Peter Stoner gives us a great picture, a word picture, and this is what he says. Imagine you take a silver dollar, and you make a mark on that silver dollar. And then you take that marked silver dollar and you throw it in with a bunch of other silver dollars. Now, how many other silver dollars? Well, he says enough silver dollars that would go two feet deep over the entire state of Texas. That's a lot of silver dollars, right? He goes, now, take a guy, blindfold him, let him walk out as far as he 
can out in the middle of Texas and have him pick up a silver dollar. He said the likelihood that he would be able to pick up the Mark silver dollar is the same likelihood that just eight of the more than 300 prophecies would come true apart from divine inspiration. In other words, the fact that even eight of those things came true is astounding. The fact that more than 300 of them came true is just So, let's consider just a few of those prophecies. Look with me in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. No, it's not you. I think... Um, I ate a lot of food in Texas, and my gut's hanging over a little bit, and I think it's, uh, I think it has unscrewed this thing. Yeah, I have an active gut right now that is unscrewing my mic. Okay, I think I'm good. Um, let's look at just a few of these, uh, these prophecies. Okay, Mike, Micah 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. 700 years later, what happened? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Behold, your king is coming to you mounted on a donkey. 500 years later, what happened? Jesus rode into town on a donkey, ultimately on his way to the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities what happened 600 years later Jesus was brutally crushed on the cross for my sin and for your sin Jesus laid down his life for us Peter says listen my experience up on the mountain was amazing it was incredible it'll always be a part of me sharing my testimony but if you want to build your faith the bricks are the truth of God's word, not the experiences, not the events, not the programs. The bricks of faith are the truth of God's word. The prophetic word was given and the prophetic word happened. Now, today, what do we do with the prophetic word? What do we do with the Bible today? Well, Peter tells us, verse 19, to which you will do well to pay attention to the prophetic word as to a lamp shining in a dark place. What do we do with the prophetic word? What do we do with the Bible? Well, we pay attention to it and we keep paying attention to it. God was giving some instructions to Joshua about 1,400 years before Jesus was born. He was about to lead the people and this is what God said, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. God told Joshua, as you're about to lead, you need to pay attention to my word. Pay attention to the truth. And why should he do that? What, what kind of impact was God's truth going to have on Joshua's life? Verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The last 30 years, I would say, 
all of the counseling sessions that I've had, most of them have something to do with fear. Some type of fear one way or the other. And so here, God's promise to Joshua is not fear, it is not fright, it is strength, and it is courage. If you're afraid, if you're angry, if you're freaking out, if you're stressed, if you're anxious, then turn to God's truth. Because God has said that in His Word, that He will give us strength and He will give us courage. If you want to be strong and courageous, then pay attention to God's Word. And if you don't pay attention to God's Word, then you are inviting fear, you're inviting anger, you're inviting stress and worry and everything else in the world into your life. That doesn't mean that we won't still be angry and stressed and fearful. It'll still happen, but don't invite it. Let, let God's Word help you be strong. Let God's Word help you be courageous. And here's why. We live in a dark, sinful world. We live in a dark, evil, sinful world. When my kids were little, we went to a place called Stump House Tunnel. It's up uh, in the upstate of South Carolina outside Wahala. And when you go into the tunnel, you can walk for a long time and the light from the entrance will be with you. It's, it's really great. You can go pretty deep. But then there comes this point where the light from the entrance isn't there anymore. And it gets really scary, spooky, dark. I mean, it is pitch black. You have to have a flashlight or you cannot go any further. Far too many professing Christians are walking through these days without the flashlight of God's Word. They're just blindly walking. They're just foolishly walking. And when we blindly and foolishly walk away from the Bible without God's truth filling our mind and heart, what happens is we get stuck in these moments and we begin to say, God, where are you? Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Why is life so hard? Why aren't more things working out for me? There's never a bad time for us to grab our flashlights. There's never a bad time for us to focus our attention on the Word of God. The psalmist said this in Psalm 119, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God doesn't say He's going to light up the 27th step for us, just the next step, just, just the next thing that we need to do. If you keep hitting the wall, if you keep falling down, then pull out your flashlight and, and point it at the truth of God's Word. Just off the top of your head, try to look back over the last week. Let's just say the last week. Where have you been shining your flashlight the most? Where are you getting most of your information? Is it the internet? Is it social media? Is it Hallmark movies? Which, I mean, are biblical, right? I mean, we know that, right? Hallmark movies are always true. Um, is it uh, I don't know, romance novels? Uh, is it political pamphlets, you know, from the flea market? Um, I don't even know if that's a thing, actually. <laughs> I have no idea. The last time I went to the flea market was probably about 10 years ago. I went to the Pickens Jockey Lot, but I was just there for the pork skins. I don't even know what was out there. So uh, I don't know. Maybe they pass out pamphlets. Maybe they don't. But, but we all have somewhere we're looking, right? We all have somewhere. I mean, you know, just to you know, make it kind of super practical, if, if the ESPN app gets 10 minutes, shouldn't the Bible get 10 minutes? If Fox News gets an hour, sh shouldn't God's Word get an hour? 
I mean, mean, our time frame, what we're pouring into our lives, it matters. Look, I'm not passing out tickets for a guilt trip. I'm just trying to help us see there is something about the truth and the light of God's word that we need. So if you're a Christian, read your Bible. Listen to the Dwell app. Go dig out your Sony Discman and and listen to the Bible on CD. Whatever you have to do. Look for God's word. Listen to God's word. Read God's word. Let us approach the Bible with a desire to listen and pay attention and learn. Let's, let's approach a devotion time with a desire to be devoted. Let's listen to sermons with a desire to, to change and adjust and, and move more toward Jesus. Let God's word take over our minds and hearts. Shine our flashlights on God's truth and just see what will happen. I mean, really, just see what will happen. I mean, the math is not hard, right? If we spend 60 seconds in the Bible and 60 minutes with Fox or MSNBC or whatever you watch, you're you're not going to be more encouraged, right? I mean, we do understand that, right? That that 60 seconds with God and 60 minutes with the world is not going to help our hearts feel better. It's just not, you know? Years ago, uh, the first church I was at, I remember there was a, a night where uh, we were sitting in a deacon's meeting, and, and we, I think we had, at that time, probably 45 deacons in that church. And, and I remember we were sitting in that meeting, and, and one of the guys said, he goes, you know what, I've been a deacon at this church for a long time, and you know what we do? We come in here, and we pray for 30 seconds, and we meet for an hour. I don't know, maybe we should change that, guys. And you know what? those men did change and the church began to change because when they met they didn't sit around talking about the business of the church they spent little time on that and they started pursuing God together and it changed them and it changed the church if we are not shining our flashlight on the truth of God it will not help our hearts it's there to help but we have to look and how long do we have to look I mean, is, is there a time that we age out of that? You know, is there, is there an exempt clause where we don't have to pay attention to God's word as much, that, that we don't have to listen to the sermons anymore, you know, that, that we can just kind of coast? I, I was at a funeral yesterday, and I was talking to a man um, before the funeral, and he was telling me about a member of his church. <laughs> this is just what he said to his third person, who knows? But he said, I got a guy in my church that has literally told me that the reason he's going to heaven is because his grandparents physically built our our sanctuary. (laughs) I was like, well, bless, goodness gracious. I mean, it's one thing to think that. It's another thing to say it out loud, you know? And we kind of laugh and chuckle at it. But if we're honest, I mean, how often do we think, well, I mean, I pray that prayer at camp, you know? I've grown up. In church, I mean, my my grandfather was a preacher. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I used to volunteer a lot. I mean, doesn't all that count? We have a whole weird list that we look at for spiritual life. When God says, "Turn to me, turn to me, turn to me," be confident in me, be sure in me. Well, is there a time that you can age out? How, or how long do you have to do it? It's just a couple of Sundays, four Sundays a year, Easter, Christmas. What do you need? Peter tells us, verse 19. Until the dawn dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, you don't graduate from the Bible. 
You know, you, 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 don't, you don't age out of listening to God's truth. Someone has described the Bible in, in just fantastic language, and that is this, that the message of the Old Testament is promises made, and the message of the New Testament is promises kept. Promises made and promises kept. And Peter is saying here, there's one more promise that God has made that he's going to fill. And that is this, the morning star is going to rise. Or put another way, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is returning. So, is he coming for you? Is your heart right with God? Have you truly repented and turned to God and you are looking to Jesus as your first and most hope for salvation in this life and the life to come? Jesus is coming again, so be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Is your heart right with God? Peter says, you know what? You keep seeking until that moment happens. If you're a believer, then you keep looking at God's truth. You keep finding confidence in God's truth. And if you're not a Christian, then today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to turn to God, be rescued, and have your soul satisfied forever. Now, somebody might say, well, all that sounds really good. Jesus is coming back, you know, be ready. Okay, but how does that help me today? How does that help me right now? It sounds good and religious, but what about right now? I was reading something about Psalm 88 this week. And Psalm 88 verse 18 says this. My acquaintances are in darkness. What he means is this. All my friends are gone. I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. There's there's nobody. I'm, I'm sitting in the dark and I'm a little bit afraid. Ever been there? Ever felt alone? Ever felt like you were sitting in the dark? Ever felt a little afraid? A little concerned about what's going to happen? Now here's the amazing thing. That's the last verse of Psalm 88. <laughs> that's, how, that's how he ended the song. Can you imagine? Like one Sunday, you know, the last song that we sing is, you know, I'm so alone and my friends are gone. And now I'm sitting here singing this depressing song. Amen. Kind of a downer, right? But that's the scene. The scene is he's singing a song to God and he ends it with, I'm alone. All my friends are gone. And here I am in the dark singing this depressing song. Jonathan Parnell says this about the psalmist. He is still speaking from the pain, in the pain, through the pain. He's still speaking. Even if by the faintest whispers, even if by the incoherent groans of a troubled soul, he looks to heaven and he says, this is where I'm at, God. This is how dark it feels. Ever been there? Ever been there where that's, that's just the best prayer you have to offer? It's the, it's the best you can do? Jonathan goes on. We can come to God like this, hurting and broken 
no matter what, we can still come. We can still come because, and we must remember, God is not afraid of the dark. He rules, he reigns over every political thing freaking your mind out right now. God rules and he reigns over every health scare in your life right now. He rules and he reigns over every child and grandchild and parent and grandparent driving you up the wall right now. He rules and he reigns. He is not afraid of the dark and he is our God. So we keep speaking to him. We keep crying out to him. We keep pouring our soul to him. Why? Because the morning star is going to rise. Jesus is coming again. The return of Christ is for real. And it is our hope today and always. And don't forget why it's our hope. It's our hope because of what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for you. And what has he done? He has swallowed up the deepest darkness that your soul will ever know. Jesus has swallowed up the penalty of sin. He has swallowed up death. And because he has swallowed up all of sin and all of death on our behalf, that means we can turn to him. That means we can trust him. That means we can have confidence in him. Why? Jonathan goes on to put it this way. Jesus holds us when it hurts, and he leads us to worship in the dark. That's how you stay focused in the dark. You, you keep worshiping. You keep worshiping. Yesterday, I, I had the opportunity, for the kindness of my brother-in-law, to, to sing at his mom's funeral. And he asked me if I would, you know, sing Rock of Ages. And part of the reason he asked me if I would sing Rock of Ages is because that was the, the last song that they remember hearing their mom sing. His brother had walked in last week to, to check on Doris, and, and when he walked in, she was sitting over in the chair, and, and she was just singing Rock of Ages. And then not long after that, I think if the story was told that, that she was confused about where they were, they had gone somewhere, and I think she even asked. I think that was the question. The question was, hey, where are we? And she paused for a second, and she started singing Rock of Ages again. Why? Because she knew that was her hope. Her dementia was strong, and she didn't know where she was they may have just been walking down the hall at, at her assisted living center, but she was confused. She didn't know where she was, but she knew who her God was. There was no confusion about who ruled and who reigned. So what do we do in the dark? We keep singing. We keep praying. We keep speaking. We keep worshiping God. And we keep worshiping Him because there's one more promise that's going to come true. Jesus is coming again.